good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the second episode of the Sprint Lectures on Mobility Struggles. Uh, my name is Joel Glassman. I'm teaching African History uh, at the University of Bayreuth. And today we are welcoming uh, Professor Nadine Mashiku. Um, Nadine Mashiku is a professor of political sciences in uh, the University of Yaoundé II in Cameroon. Uh, she has been an invited professor and a research fellow in several universities, including uh, Lyon 3 in France, Hanoi in Vietnam, and the University of Bayreuth in Germany. Uh, she is member of the Cluster uh, Africa Multiple. Professor Mashiku uh, has published extensively on the political sociology of Cameroon and West Africa on topics ranging from democratization uh, to political violence uh, upon health infrastructure, protest movements, and migration. Um, I especially recommend her last publications on the war in uh, Anglophone Cameroon, an article uh, published recently by Political African, um, and as well uh, as a chapter um, prominently um, published in the last volume edited by Achille Bembe and Felvin Saar, um, Politique des Temps, on what Professor Mashiku calls the politics of compassion. Um, today, Professor Mashiku will uh, speak about her ongoing project uh, on African scholars at risks. And this research question is, of course, uh, um, uh, the question of endangered scholars and African intellectuals is, of course, a very good entry point into our topic of uh, planetary mobility struggles. Um, thank you very much, Professor Mashiku, for being there today. Thank you. Thank you. Um, can you can you please uh, tell us how did you come to uh, study scholars at risk? Um, wh where does your your interest for this topic come from? Okay, uh, thank you very much. Uh, I'm first of all really grateful to have the opportunity uh, to share some of my thoughts and uh, projects on this uh, issue. Of course, all of you, I'm so happy to see you again. Cyrus, uh, uh, that I, I met la last time, and, and thank you very much for your interest for, for this issue. So the question you asked me is very simple. Uh, there is a, a gap between spaces of danger and uh, relief policies, and how the, the issue of danger is taken care of by especially international uh, relief policies. So I was interested in this uh, policy because there's a clear, uh, I would say, distance between uh, where places considered as being, uh, I would say, endangered spaces, Africa being one of the most endangered spaces uh, in terms of uh, how, I mean, people, are, uh, people live there. And, and at the same time, uh, the absence of Africans and especially uh, scholars in relief policies. This is clearly what was my interest. And I wanted to understand, first of all, how the issue of danger is framed. What, what, what makes the issue of danger to uh, skip, uh, I would say spaces considered as more fearful places on the planet. And how does this impact or help us to understand uh, both the issue of uh, epistemic inequality, the issue of uh, how the global south as a, as a whole insert itself in mobility issues. 
of course, uh, what I wanted to, to look at especially is how mobility is one of, I would say one of the traces, one of the, um, uh, the key points through which we can analyze this. Mobility being a way of uh, escaping places of danger. Let's put it this way. Globally, uh, when they say danger, as academics are concerned, as scholars are concerned, there are three or four categories. And at the same time, three or four institutions that are considered. Maybe the first thing to say about this is that African scholars have been characterized historically as not being in danger. And I, I would say uh, even through very critical situation, you could take the Cold War and during the Cold War, the fact that there was a move of uh, academics, I'll take the example, of course, of uh, DRC of Cameroon, countries like this, where there were massive mobility of, of students and of scholars towards the Soviet Union, nationalist movements and stuff. The Congolese Lumumbis, some of these, the, the scholars from this movement who had to flee out of, uh, of Congo. And uh, in all this situation, Biafra, the Biafra war in Nigeria, but also the, the of course, the uh, issues of democratic crisis, which always had a clear impact on the situation of, of scholars. But all through this situation, historically, the African scholars have never uh, emerged as being characterized as an endangered uh, situation. So what I was really looking at was uh, especially in the categories, and these categories are endangered scholars, scholars at risk, academic as at risk, categories that were framed since the 30s and, and all through the history of the, I mean, the intellectual history, they could see how these uh, categories were framed, but they were not framed uh, to be able to capture situations in which these, uh, these scholars were uh, found themselves. I, I, I was brought to look at this through uh, both an institutional and statistical history of how the, the fabric of an endangered scholars is made and how the policy relief uh, is built on this. And at the same time, uh, a, a, a prosopography approach by looking at situations of scholars who were signaled as being in danger uh, somehow and who had to flee their countries. And I'm really putting together these two, two histories, the, I would say the institutional history of how uh, academic at risk, scholars at risk, endangered scholars take care of, uh, I would say, scholars in danger, and I will put it clearly, don't take care of African uh, in, in scholars as being endangered, and at the same time, a bottom-up approach on individual bio biography and even collective biography. If, if I take the example of, uh, for example, I would say anglophone intellectuals who have to who had to flee in the 80s and the 90s from Cameroon to countries like Nigeria or, or South Africa, uh, the the situation of uh, intellectuals from the uh, Congo, and I mean various situations, and in these uh, individual trajectories, we will hardly find them in the statistics and in the reports on on endangerment on scholar endangerment. So this is the, the various form that uh, this uh, fabric of categories um, interested me. And we could clearly uh, here see an interest to, to question how the condition of the African scholar is qualified with regard to the categories of danger. And uh, 
of course, you, you could look at the selection of few cases, but I want to say that this is more than just few cases, because if you look at the capacity of international instrument of, for the protection of academics at risk, uh, is how they trace, capture, address, and I will say relieve uh, those who are in, in danger, you will see that it is basically a, 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 the, the consideration of the immediate endangerment. And this uh, way of looking basically at the immediate endangerment and thus uh, would, would, would somehow make invisible the situation of so many uh, scholars who can't signal themselves who would not have the possibility to signal themselves as, as being endangered. And you, you could understand clearly how uh, the, the immediate danger and the structural or the systemic danger is one of the explanations so far on how uh, or why these African scholars have been made so invisible. Now one of the statistics that you're quoting in your research is you say, on the one side, if you look at the, the Global Peace Index report, um, yes. of the 10 most dangerous countries in the world, five are African countries. That's the, the Global Peace Index. And then on the other side, if you look at uh, um, the Scholar Rescue Fund of the Institute of International Education, um, that is an institution supporting, helping scholars at risk worldwide, only 4% of the scholars at risk or classified at risk yes. are African scholars. Yes. How do you explain this invisibility of African scholarships in these mechanisms? Maybe if you could permit me just to say a word on how effective they could be able to talk of invisibility by considering a very specific type of sources. I crossed the statistics produced by the Global Peace Index report during several years. And in this uh, international geopolitical map for dangerous or at-risk countries, you see clearly that among 10 most uh, dangerous countries in the world, five are in Africa. And in order, you could find here, of course, South Sudan, you could find Somalia, you could find Libya, DRC, the D Democratic Republic of Congo, the Central African Republic, and in this uh, different, and I, I would say more, more and more the case of uh, Cameroon with the, the issue of the Anglophone crisis. At the same time, when you look at the, for example, the, the statistics of the um, United Nations High Commissioner on uh, Refugees, you could see that the top five countries where people are considered as, as at risk uh, or are displaced, both students and scholars, the only African country, I would say in five countries is, is Ethiopia is Ethiopia, and you see that there's clearly a gap between countries that are identified as the most dangerous places and countries that are considered as places where scholars and students are considered as being at risk, or at least being providers of, uh, I would say, refugees. And uh, So in this, it, it appears clearly that um, these most dangerous countries are not statistically the, the largest providers of academic uh, relief seekers, and even the most represented in the relief policy actually conducted at the international level and the rescue policies carried out by institutions like Scholars at Risk Network or Endangered Scholars Worldwide or the Council for uh, Assisting uh, Refugee Academics. Uh, you look at the three or four institutions who are in charge of taking care of them, you see that clearly, as far as African scholars are concerned, uh, statistically they are invisible and 
so it, it is very important to look at the tools themselves. That's why I went to the issue of how is in this institution the category of danger? What does it mean to be in danger? What does it mean to be uh, to be at risk? And uh, how is the the category risk or the uh, I mean the scholar risk framed and has been framed? For, of course, it it's a frame that has been evolving. Uh, and uh, what I, I really saw is that, um, uh, as, as, as we said, the, the issue of the immediate, uh, coming to the question you asked me, the immediate uh, uh, danger is far more so uh, important in the way they consider who is uh, a danger. And, and when I talk of this, I look at both the issue of being uh, uh, forced to displace, being uh, in prison, being, uh, uh, I would chase from their, their academic positions, and I would put it as all these situations where uh, you can't continue doing your work. Uh, it, it's basically what would be much more interesting. And the, 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 the cross, the, I mean, or the, the articulation between how uh, the, 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 I, I would say the most emergency-oriented uh, danger frames the selection of those who are going to be under the, the, the relief policies. And at the same time, the disarticulation with conflict-afflicted uh, state and situations, is, it's, it's so, so interesting and so surprising that there is, there is no articulation between the, the, between the two types of uh, I, I would say the two types of uh, uh, realities. So predominantly, we want to look at, uh, of course, this is still a project. We want to look at what is going on as basically the result of a, a qualification effect. Government will say a framing effect. How, how is the, the issue is, how does the categorization and the measurement of uh, what, first of all, what is being an academic and then what is being endangered, these two categories clearly appear to have clearly, exp I would say, um, affected the visibility or the invisibility of the situation of, uh, African, uh, of African scholars at, at risk. Of course, there's a question that can be asked, which is apart from these international rescue uh, institutions or tools, is there any way, for example, at the level of the continent, the issue of the danger has been, I would say, addressed or by institutions? I'll, I'll take it, especially the, the CODESRIA, which is the, the Council for the Research in, in Social Sciences, which is one of the institutions who have been interested in the issue of academic freedom. So you, you will see that if uh, the issue of danger is translated at the international level as, as being immediate danger, at the level of the continent, the issue of danger, academic danger, is translated in terms of academic freedom, and I would say especially economic academic freedom. So Kodesria has uh, interpreted, and this is since the conference of Kampala in 1990, has interpreted the, the issue of being in danger as an African scholar as being subjected to work in a context where uh, the university were under uh, economic reforms of the World Bank and could not really uh, deploy themselves. So the, the individual situation of danger have hardly interested 
uh, the, the, these institutions. So uh, you, you see that there are different, I would say different ways of framing what it means to be in danger. And this is basically what interests me in this project, which it has started. So far, uh, I've been able to, through posopography, to follow situations of scholars from different countries who had to flee their countries and the traces of they going out because of being the fact that they were in danger is so difficult to find. So you have to go through really uh, personal uh, networks and, and, and some, some traces that they will leave here and there and you hardly find traces of they being in danger in institutional, uh, in institutional categories. So the, the fact that we have to reverse the approach of uh, identifying who is in danger has opened a lot of possibilities in terms of really qualifying both the situation of, uh, uh, and I say especially systemic violence, not only individual situations, but also systemic situation producing the incapacity for a scholar to be able to do his job in, in, this, in this context. So on, on, on one side, you have Western definition or concept um, such as the one used by the Scholar Rescue Fund and, and yes. in the paper that the, in the Scholar at Risk Data Bank, which is a data bank ex that exists since the 1950s, um, there is no mention of African scholars before 2011. So according to their definition, to, to this immediacy paradigm of the yes. very narrow yes. definition yes. of what, what uh, danger means. And the other side, um, the definition by the Conference of Kampala um, in, in 1990 and, and used by the, the Codesria, um, 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 a definition of danger linked to systematic um, or systemic uh, violence. What, what does that mean? What does systemic violence mean? Um, How, how can we um, uh, imagine what, what uh, the Codesria is uh, saying with this? Okay, first of all, what, what I wanted to underline here through the, the category of uh, systemic and not necessarily individual traces of danger is uh, based on the case of South Africa. Actually, South Africa is very interesting because of how ambiguous was the qualification of being, uh, being at risk. Uh, as, as you know, um, during the Cold War and especially during the apartheid era, uh, there was such a, uh, I would say, a, um, a, an impact on South African scholars who could not actually, they were banned from attending interna international meetings and, and going through uh, all this uh, boycott, academic boycott of South Africa, which impacted the situation of uh, so basically, you take a situation like the apartheid, which is a, a, I would say, systemic threat, systemic threat, which of course would not affect, in the same perspective, uh, I would say, white and black uh, scholars in South Africa. This is one case, and if I take that case, this is typically the kind of cases that would interest in the qualification of. Uh, academic threats in uh, in African in the African context, and uh, you you took the example of uh, of uh, the Kodesria. So when the the, the, the meeting of uh, of Kampala uh, held in 19 uh, in, in 1990s, the the, the 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 position was clearly. Of course, there can be an explanation to this, which is uh, 
an explanation, political or ideological explanation, with the presence of some economists, very, uh, I mean, Marxist economics. Of course, you, you all know the, 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 the work of uh, Samir Amin within the Codesia. So we can see how it could have an impact on African standards of academic endangerment. Uh, the gap with the international uh, the, the international standards. So actually, in in, in 1990s, uh, there were the, there was the wave of democratization and this symposium in uh, in Kampala on af academic freedom. So basically, here the the, 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 the issue was to, to think about what it means to to be uh, to be an intellectual in Africa. What is the social responsibility of, of intellectuals? And during this meeting, which was organized by the Council for the Development of Social Sciences Research in, uh, in Africa, the, the participants mostly identify uh, crisis, and I say economic crisis, and the, the economic crisis provoked by the structural adjustment programs as, as being the primary danger to academic freedom, far ahead of other issues as uh, poor conditions of work, uh, closure of university, presses, um, imprisonment, killings, forced exile, were hardly mentioned by, by academics uh, during, this, during this meeting. So we can clearly see that Codesria, uh, and I say there's an explanation because of the, also the, I would say, not put it as the, uh, in, I would say ideological orientation, but clearly, you, you, you have uh, the, the impact of, of uh, how these economists were understanding, I would say, the, the, the impact of adjustment programs on public policies in these countries. So they were more concerned by the fact that systemic condition, the systemic condition, I would say, the, the, the existence of, biblio, of, of uh, libraries, the, the quality of uh, university infrastructures, being more important and being putting more at risk uh, scholars than killings, imprisonment, forced exile. And this is very interesting because we have to put these, these uh, intellectuals, these uh, academic uh, uh, figures within also the context of authoritarianism, countries where they, they lived and how they interpreted also, I would say, uh, the, the, what, what is the, the standard of uh, the, 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 I mean, the academic of, of academic freedom. So after they, 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 they framed a declaration, the, the, the Kampala Declaration on Intellectual Freedom and Social Responsibility, and this is the main tool that shows how the interpretation of being a danger uh, is, is, is uh, in African, in the African context. I want to put it that way because uh, Kodesmia is the main institution who are had a position on academic freedom within the continent, uh, so 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 it's interesting to look at to look at this, look, looking at the fact that it is more the, the the condition of university and not the condition of the scholar, individual condition of the scholar that that interested as being something that will put at at risk. Of course, this has has an impact on the the, the possibility of identifying either immediate situations of danger and especially as i said in the international tools it is the immediate situation of endangerment and the immediate situation is the 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 arrest being arrested being imprisoned and being for being forced to to be to exile the fact that one can be killed that is considered as a situation of 
of danger. So you can imagine that when a scholar is applying for these uh, relief uh, tools, is applying, for example, for mobility uh, in the context of the scholar at risk uh, organization, he has to be able to prove that he is uh, at risk to be imprisoned, he is at risk to be uh, to be to be to be exiled, or he was at risk. He was threatened. His life was threatened, which is not always easy to 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 bring out. So for de decades, clearly, uh, this way of understanding academic danger uh, with a very structural uh, interpretation has determined, uh, especially the, the the capacity of African scholars themselves to present themselves as being at danger. So this, this is also how the, 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 the institutional tools will frame the, the perception that a scholar can have of himself being at risk or not. And the fact that he could imagine that he can apply to, to, uh, to, to be protected in the, the rescue, uh, re rescue tools uh, available. And w w one thing you're doing to, to show how this, this definition and these conceptions of being at risk uh, changed over the last 20 or 30 years is you look at specific biographies of, of, of scholars, um, especially from Cameroon. Um, yes. What, what changed between the, 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 the 90s or, or um, the scholars such as Jean-Marc Hélas, uh, Célestin Monga, for instance, and, and the new uh, generation of scholars in, from Cameroon uh, who, are, who, are, who have to flee the country? Okay, Th thank you for, for really bringing uh, the, the light on this, this aspect. And as I said, it will be very interesting to have more uh, significant cases from different uh, countries. As I said, if we look at the case of uh, uh, DRC, the case of Algeria, the case of uh, Zimbabwe or different uh, situations, I think we could have more significant explanations on how important it is to look at individual trajectory, to have this individual bi biography that helps to really see how there's a gap between the institutional approach of danger and the individual condition of African scholars. So in the case of Cameroon, we can see in three generations, I, I, well, I put it as generation because I think there are three situations uh, which are now showing a form of evolution, a form of evolution because Cameroon since 2017 has appeared in the statistics of African, uh, of scholars at risk. Cameroon, the name Cameroon appeared in, in 2017. And why? The name Cameroon appeared because of the case of Patrice Ngana, who is an African, uh, I would say Cameroonian, uh, he, he's probably having also the American uh, citizenship, who came to Cameroon on a research uh, trip, who uh, took a position on the Anglophone crisis, and who was arrested by the, the government. So the, the case of uh, Patrice Ngana, which is basically the, I would say, the most uh, visible case, uh, and maybe the, the first case signaled in the, in the statistics on endangerment in Cameroon, but only in 2017, I would say, even after some other scholars 
from the Anglophone region were arrested and were facing the possibility of a death penalty, but were not signaled as such. So it's very interesting to see how, uh, how, how the, the fact that uh, when a scholar is inserted, of course, in international networks, uh, it is very important to bring the light on his situation of endangerment. Uh, the, the case of Patrick, uh, of Patrick Ghana, I could give a few examples <laughs> on how uh, clearly there, there was a gap. There was a gap between his case, whom for me and on my own, uh, at my own perception, he was not as at risk as some Anglophone scholars who were arrested before him but who were not appearing in the, in the statistics uh, as, as being at risk. So, so here the difference is clearly on the, the fact that uh, uh, the, this, this scholar, uh, was, uh, his situation was signaled both by uh, his university in US, but also by a number of, uh, I, I would say, I, 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 could, I could name them, quite fast so that you can see how it's important to how the, the social capital, the, the academic capital is linked to this social capital of how inserted in, in network could, could make the difference and make the, the, the scholar visible. So Patrice Ngana, when he was, was facing, I would say very less charges, the, the charges were less serious than the others, Anglophone, uh, academics who were already in prison like few months before him his case was signaled by the the actually the, the the what they call the attack the, the the action of christians against the uh, for the abolition of torture the uh, stonebrook university which is his university uh, his case was signaled by a large number of uh, the the um, the um, african study association uh, in the US, the Committee to Protect Journalists, the African Literature Association. So, so in the, on the website of all these institutions, you could find traces of, pre, of positions taken for uh, Patrice Nganam, Princeton University, and so and All this mobilization uh, well brought to the light the, 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 the situation. And he was quickly, quickly freed. He was released from detention. Uh, and the charges were dropped against him. But at the same time, the other scholars, scholars facing the, the death penalty were, were still, were, were still uh, in, in jail. So if you take the case of uh, Jean-Marc Ella, who never appeared in the statistics on uh, endangerment, so Jean-Marc Ella is a, a sociologist who uh, left the, the country uh, in, 19, uh, in 1995, after another scholar who is uh, an historian, uh, Angel Berveng was assassinated. So when he, the, 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 the Angel Berveng was assassinated, Jean-Marc felt like he was himself uh, in, in, in danger. I, I, I should say this is in, in, a, in, a, in a couple of, uh, of months. So they can see he was assassinated in April, 1995 and uh, by August, Jean-Marc Ella is invited for a conference in Canada, and Jean-Marc Ella will leave the country, uh, but by then uh, he's already 60, of course, and he, uh, he's calling the attention on the fact that he is uh, facing death threats. 
because he took position on the assassination of his of his colleague uh, on Jean Bervin. So when he's welcomed in uh, in Canada, and I said clearly, he doesn't move to Canada as uh, being uh, in a situation where he is seeking refuge. No, he is attending a conference, and while he goes to attend the conference, uh, he will now apply for asylum uh, in in, uh, in in Canada, and. How is the rescue this, uh, this, uh, the, the rescue organized? Uh, when uh, he uh, he arrives there, there's another colleague who is from Togo who first welcome him to his house, and Ashin Bembe, who happened to at work with him, and who was in U.S. by then, Ashin Bembe and Celestin Monga, are uh, contacted by Paul Asogba that uh, well Jean-Marc Ela is here and he's feeling afraid. We have to organize ourselves how to how to take care of him. So they will leave US and come to, to Canada. And it's from Canada that, that they, they will organize a, a couple of positions, intellectual uh, positions that they will take. One of the positions taken is in the uh, uh, review, the, the journal, Politique Africaine, where they will write to mention his situation and to, to call the attention on the fact that he is really at, uh, at threat. I should put it clearly, this is a memorandum of 14 pages that was written describing very extensively how uh, he got himself into this uh, situation, or this position of being at a bit at risk. So the, the, the memorandum is signed by, by them. And then after uh, the, the, this memorandum, the form of intellectual, uh, of African intellectuals from the diaspora will also uh, take a position on the case. And it's basically through these few positions that uh, they will call to, to the protection of Jean-Marc Ella. Uh, and this statement that was taken will not necessarily have an impact because we know that though Jean-Marc Ella had the, he, he, he was accepted as a, uh, as uh, asylum seeker, I mean, he was he had the 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 statue of um, as uh, asylum statue in uh, in Canada, but he could not reconstitute his career. He could not find a position, academic position. I will say somehow the fact that he moved to Canada ended his career as a as a scholar. But uh, clearly, the the condition of being a scholar was not, uh, I would say, acknowledged, acknowledged and protected as such. So the third case, which also speaks to us about how important individual condition, individual rescue, uh, I would say tools are, are determinant for, 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 for many uh, African colors and how invisible for that matter uh, their situation is, is the case of Carlson and Yangwe. Carlson and Yangwe is a professor of law who happened to be uh, since few years, one of the most critical uh, scholars speaking on the anglophone, uh, the anglophone cause, the anglophone problem, and actually he had to leave the country in the 90s because he was actually following his wife who moved to Tanzania, and it's from Tanzania that he moved to South Africa, which now is becoming, has become for, for a lot of uh, endangered African scholars, a place of uh, of release, but it, it, this place of release, South Africa being a place of release, it is not through an institutional position of the, Af the South African University or the South African government to welcome uh, scholars who are in danger, but it's really mainly through what we we'll call it, uh, I will call it in French, une filière, I don't know how a, 
a, a, a path that the first person being relieved uh, would be a, a would be able to bring others in and this is how a lot of I'll, I'll say through Carlson and Yangwe, but others also many Cameroonian scholars who happen to find themselves at risk they move to South Africa so this is I'll say three different situations you will see that from the 1990s to now the 2017 to 2021 the evolution is clearly the fact that Cameroon has for long, those situations of danger were, were, was, were there, never considered as a country where there were, were scholars at, at risk, though scholars were fleeing out of Cameroon and seeking for refugee and asylum. But at the, and it is only in the, in the 2017, within the frame of the Anglophone crisis, that Cameroon now appeared to be considered as a place where some scholars were fleeing because of being put at risk. So this evolution is a, an evolution linked to the variable of the academic capital. So you see that clearly when the, the, the mobility is already a, a, a way of, of, of seeking and, and, and obtaining attention of policy, uh, policy relief uh, to if you are not visible, if you don't have, you have no mobility, you are more dequalified, you are more uh, put at risk by the fact that of course you don't have the network that, that, that will make the difference. And I think in, in, in this case, clearly there's a, there's a, a difference made by the, the, I would say the academic capital of uh, Patrice Ghana with the difference to Carlson and Yango and the others. Of course, I have like 10 or 15 questions left. Just uh, Nadine, can you tell us about uh, Fontem Afauteka? Is he still in jail or is he free now? He was, he was freed. And actually, this very interesting case, the case I was talking about facing death penalty was his case. And finally, he was freed with the lawyer who was arrested at the same time with. And actually, I think now he left for U.S. He left for U.S. because I tried to interest him to the possibility of immobility to, to Germany. But it happens that he's now in, in U.S. He's not having a, an academic position. He's really in the relief they put it in French, but he's in the secours that he's been having time to just breathe now for two years since he has been freed from jail and he has not had the opportunity to teach again. I don't know if he's writing, maybe he's writing something, but he's a very interesting case of how difficult it is to find a space, even within mobility, even when you circulate, where do you go to and how do you stay a scholar when you have been put uh, in danger? All right, thank you. Thank you very much, Professor Mashiku, for uh, this talk and these answers. Thanks. Thank you very much. On the go, sprint lectures on African mobilities.